Hallelujah. Give God a hand clap for them. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 4. Hopefully you've been following along with us. For those of you who are reading the Bible uh, with us in 90 days, uh, the Old Testament in 90 days, I encourage you, if you have forgotten and if you fell short and you haven't done it, just start over. It's okay. Get back up and keep going. Nehemiah chapter 4, 1 through 6. Uh, I want you to go back and read chapter 3. We'll be talking about that a little bit. Uh, and it says this. Can you read it with me? Let's read. Also glad to have back Turhan. Turhan has been... Tarhan has been traveling Europe for, uh, for about a month now, and now it's time for him to come back with a little old us. <laughs> and we're very grateful to have him and the gifts that he lends to the body of Christ. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. We won't belabor it. Let's go ahead and read. What does it say? Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in his, the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what, uh, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break it down their stone wall. Hear, our, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let their sin not be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to build. With this scripture, other related scriptures, and the aid of the Holy Spirit, I want to preach to you from this morning in this subject. Everybody say brick, brick. by brick. You may be seated in the presence of God. Lord, speak. Your servants listen. And we'll be careful to give you the praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap. So excited to see all of you, my father's children, this morning. And we've been going through a sermon series called Picking Up the Pieces, which is pertinent to all of us because whether you're young or old, all of us have some brokenness in our life. All of us have some broken situations in our life. For some of us, it's a job. For some of it's us, it's a marriage. For some of us, it's a relationship. For some of us, it's broken family. For some of us, it's broken hearts and minds and psyche. Some of us have suffered psychological abuse, things from our childhood, all sorts of traumas that have come together. In the body of Christ, many of us don't know how to put our, uh, our life back together. We're rather like a spiritual Humpty Dumpty. I remember in kindergarten, I was, when I was a little child, one of the first poems I remember them saying is, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. Now, as trivial as that sounds and as elementary as that sounds, many of us feel like that. Many of us, have you ever had a great fall in your life, something that, that was a huge disappointment or a huge hurt in your life, and you felt like no matter what anybody did, you couldn't be prepared from that pain. You couldn't be repaired from that trauma. Well, this is what Nehemiah is doing. He is going back to Jerusalem to help them build what has been broken. It's not broken because it's God's fault. I thought it would be necessary and pertinent to put it there. It's broken to her because it's their fault. 
The walls are torn down because they were disobedient. The walls are torn down because they turned their back on God. The walls are torn down because they got haughty and they decided that they would follow everything except God. So they caused it. It wasn't just a mean old enemy getting to them. They caused this pain. Why are you telling me that, Pastor? Because sometimes we have to realize that sometimes the worst enemy that we have in our lives is us. Sometimes the brokenness doesn't come from my neighbor. It doesn't come from the, uh, other people. But sometimes the brokenness in our life comes from the decisions we make. But how great is our God that is able to realize that we cause our own problem, but still love us so much that after he's whooped us a little bit, and I don't mind being whooped by God. You know why? Because the Bible says that whom the father loves, he chastens. You don't go whooping other people's kids. If God doesn't whip you for your behavior from time to time, I probably would check my spirit your birth certificate because that probably means that I'm not here. So every now and then when God gets me in line or God puts me in check, I'm not upset about it. I get back in line because that makes me feel good when God corrects me. You know why? Because that means I'm not abandoned. I'm not out on my own. I'm not doing my own thing to when, when I do wrong, God feels, God doesn't even worry about it. There is a category for that. You'll find it in the book of Romans chapter 1. He calls it a reprobated mind. What's a reprobated mind? A reprobated mind means that you have done wrong so long that God allows you to do it and you think that wrong is right what God hates you like and what God doesn't like you love and the things that God will have you not do you love to do it and it doesn't even bother you anymore what do you mean pastor have you ever done that before you you were raised in church or raised right and you started doing some things that were wrong you knew they were wrong and you felt bad about doing them but the longer you did them the easier they got to do the easier it was that you, you were coming to church every Sunday. You were being faithful to church every Sunday. And you couldn't imagine what life would be like, Turhan, unless you came to church. And then you messed around during football season and missed church or some special season. And you missed one Sunday. Then you missed one Sunday. And now uh, you missed Bible study. You missed this. And now all of a sudden you turn around and it's not, it, it's not hard at all. It's harder to remember to come to church than it is to remember not to. Because we get in ruts, things we call ourselves. And when we do that, we put ourselves in positions for our walls to be torn down. Because whether you know it or not, you are always at war. The enemy is always trying to destroy you. The Bible says that the thief cometh but to kill, steal, and destroy. He also says that Satan goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You may think you're at peace. You may think you're at ease. But there is an enemy called the devil. And he has some demons with him that he hates your guts, turn, huh? He does not like you at all. He doesn't like you. No, no, he doesn't like you. He, he will do whatever he can to destroy your life. Life because once you give life, your life to God, you are now not his friend. You are now his enemy. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that no matter where we've been or how low we've gotten, that God's grace can find us on the floor and pick us up and help us build back our lives. And after God had decided that Israel had had enough, he put it on the hearts of those who were holding them captive to begin to send them in ways back home. But now that God has finished chasing them, they have to do the work. Somebody said, do the work. They have to do the hard work of putting their life back together. God may have given you the grace to restore your marriage after infidelity or after anything else. But it's not just going to happen when you pop your fingers. You've got to do the 
work. You've got to be able to put in the work. God may give you the grace to rebuild your finances after you wrecked your credit and done all sorts of things in your life, but you've got to do the work. God may have given you the grace to fix your marriage after you said every nasty thing in the book to one another and you hurt each one another, that you're in the house together, but you're not really with each other, that your heart has grown cold and God can restore those things, but you got to do the what? Work. But most of us don't want to do the work because we're just like the people in Jerusalem that when we see all the chaos around and we see all the bricks that are fell down, we don't know where to begin because we get overwhelmed. We get overwhelmed by trying to rebuild our life. Where do I start? I want to try to apologize. I want to try to rebuild. I want to get my health back together. I want to get my finances together. But my life is so much of a mess, I don't know where to start. And although we didn't read chapter 3, I want you to go back when you leave home. Go home and read chapter 3 aloud. Why? Because chapter 3 is, is a mundane chapter. When you read it, there's nothing exciting about chapter 3. He's giving a list of different people who are building the wall and they're not trying to build the entire wall but everybody is dealing with the wall that is in front of where they are everybody said deal with the problem at hand See, the problem is we get overwhelmed because we're trying to fix everything at one time. But you can only face one thing at a time. Jesus says, and take no thought for tomorrow, for sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. It's not important that we get everything right all the time, but that we make slow, progressive steps toward getting our life back together, toward getting our relationship with God back together. This may be your first time in church on Sunday in 20 years. Don't worry about it. That was a positive step. Focus on this step. Now focus on getting back there, back here next week. Focus step by step, brick by brick. They begin to look at the chaos, but he began to set them down in sections and organize them and put them down and say, now you handle this section and you handle this section and you handle that section. He was kind of like a military type person. He was putting people where they go. This is your responsibility. Don't worry about that person's responsibility, but you build this back and brick by brick slowly they began to build it back and but it was a mundane process and although chapter 3 seems so mundane it's a vital chapter and we'll see a little while we'll see why a little later but to be honest although the chapter is absolutely vital it is not the most riveting why do you tell me that pastor because many times people do not achieve because they want things to have a flashbang they think we snap our fingers and greatness just shows up greatness doesn't show up at the game greatness is made in practice Greatness doesn't show up in the big bank account. Greatness shows up at night when you're making a budget and saying we can't go out to eat this week. We got to be better at our finances. That's when greatness is made. Greatness is made in the boring times. Financial freedom is not made when you win the lottery. Financial freedom is when you take all your bills, put them together, make a budget and sit at the kitchen table and try to live on less than what you make. That's when greatness is made. Greatness is not when you show up in a Mercedes Benz. Greatness is when you pull out all those bills that you've been hiding in your junk drawer and say, I finally got to face them and one by one I'm going to start to get my life together. Greatness is not when you walk together hand in hand and everybody can see you smiling and kissing and hugging. My wife gave me a kiss in public. She doesn't do that very much and I might be, my mind might be a little loopy because of y'all. Y'all will have to excuse me because I'm kind of on cloud nine. But at the same time, here's the deal. Greatness in marriage doesn't come without failure. Greatness in marriage doesn't come without struggle. Greatness is made in the mundane 
time, not the time that people can see, but in the times that they cannot. Your spiritual growth doesn't come in church when you walk around and run in church and raise your hand. But your worship life is created on the side of your bed and in your shower when nobody can hear you. Your spirituality is made on your knees in the middle of the night when nobody knows, brick by brick. Your, your walk with Christ comes in the morning when you're sitting in the car or when you're getting ready to go to the gym. And it's not a fast process. We love fast processes. We like our life to be like sitcoms where we have a problem and in 30 minutes it's solved. But some problems in our life will get will carry with us for years, but we have to have the tenacity and the ten, and the stick to itness to say, I'm gonna build it back brick by brick. Everybody say brick by brick. It's not going to come to me fast. And as we're going to start in chapter 4, I want you to know that if you're starting to get a Christian walk, if you're just getting back into the God thing, and you want to go on a deeper level, you might not be standing on this, uh, on this stage right now speaking. That might not be your calling, nor it's your goal. But if you're a man in the house, the fact that you're here is a positive thing, because I know one thing you are called to do, and that's lead your family and bring your family to church, not send them. You are doing a positive thing by being here, and guess what? Do it again next week. That's how greatness is done. You keep repeating the same thing over and over again. But in the world of social media, in the world of cell phones and tablets and screens, why do we have screens up here? Because people have short attention spans and they quickly start things that they never finish. How many people have unused gym memberships? How many people started with us reading the Bible in 90 days and you stopped about day three? I encourage you. Guess what? Get up and keep going. But we see Nehemiah in chapter four as we're going in there where we started reading. The wall has now been completed halfway. If you just take a step brick by brick, I've come to tell you whether you if you might have said, well, pastor, I don't have the education for it. Well, you can go back to school. Guess what? Whether you go back to school or not, two years is coming so you can have an associate degree in two years. You might as well go back today. Worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Go to class today. Well, it's hard today. That's fine. Pick it up and go to class again tomorrow. After a while, two years will pass and you have an associate's. And after that, four years, of, two more years will pass and you'll have a bachelor's. And if you need it, two more years, can have, you can have a master's or a specialist. And some people will do it even 11 months. And if you're willing to give it after a while, you'll have a doctorate. The time is going to pass whether you do something or not. So you might as well move forward. You might as well have, work on having the best marriage that, that you can. I flirt with my wife. She's not a flirty person. But she'll just she'll go down the street and I'll send her a text message. I have to make sure I'm not texting the member by mistake because I'm not good with that. But I look at it and I, I say, I'm, I'm missing you. I'm already missing you and I'm sending the kissy faces. What am I doing? I'm building my marriage brick by brick. Does that mean we get everything right? No. Does that mean we have time when we get it on each other? No. Yes. But at the end of the day, I don't worry about that. But every time I get a mind to do something sweet, I'm trying to do it brick by brick. Success is not made 
at the game. Success is made on the practice field. But here's the thing. When people see you with success, they are going to be jealous of your success. And they are going to try to destroy your success. They have completed halfway what the enemy said could not be done. They said you couldn't even get into school because you didn't have a degree. And you've gone back and got a GED in your associate's degree. And now when they look around, you completed what they said could not be done. You've had naysayers in your life. Has there been anybody in the room who's had people tell you because of where you came from or the life you had that you'd be just like your mother or just like your father? Your father was an alcoholic, so you're going to be an alcoholic. Your mother was a drug addict, so you're going to be a drug addict. Your family was promiscuous, so you're going to be promiscuous. But I'm telling you, where you are today is not where you have to be tomorrow. You might be one today, but if you'll give Christ your hand, he can build back your life brick by brick. See, the enemy comes in, and sometimes the enemy is not always without. Sometimes the enemy is within. The enemy is your mind telling that you telling you that you can't do it. The enemy is the, your mind telling you and reminding you about how many times you failed at this. Why don't you quit trying? Why don't you give up? Why don't you stop coming to church? It's not working. You've been smoking and killing your body. You've been partying and doing everything else. Why don't you stop coming to church? You're just wasting your time. Why? Because every time I throw a brick off my wall, I'm a try to pick two more up and put it on and after a while I build my life back brick by brick. God wants us to know that it's possible to do what is seemingly impossible. Why? Because we focus on what God is doing and not what our enemies are saying. The wall is completed halfway from the ground up, but there is a person named Sanballat. And Sanballat represents to me Satan in this story. And he represents our problems in this story because Sanballat is from Samaria. And Samarian Samaritans do not like Jews. And Sanballat has actually, because the walls have been torn down. He's been given governance over the area and he's hoping to have it over Jerusalem even though the temple's back there. And if they get back up, that means he doesn't have his power. He won't be as powerful. Do you realize that some people that are close to you, they're really stabbing you in the back, huh? They act like they're your friend, but they don't want you to get up because if you get up, they already feel small. And if you increase, it'll make them feel smaller. So they're only getting close to you so every time you get up, they can try to pull on your shirt. I'm not going to pull too hard it looks expensive. I can't afford to replace it. But at the end of the day, every time you get up, they're trying to pull you back down because they are intimidated and upset that if God blesses you, they can't get the blessing. And that is a lack of faith. Christians shouldn't have that. Why? I get excited when I see other people blessed. Why? Because I know that if God can do it for you, the same God that did it for you can do it for me. Blessed be the name of our God. I don't mind if you get a new car. Matter of fact, get two. And while you're at it, tell them I'm on my way to get what I need. Because God that bless you will bless me if I need it. I'm young. I was young. And Brother David, I'll admit it. My kids said, and now I'm old. But never have I seen. I can't believe I just said that. But now I'm old. And I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. All my life, Sister Pat, I've been a tither. I've been a tither since my brother raised me. And he taught me 
many times when I was young. And sometimes I gave my first job I had when I was 15 years old. And before I took a dime out of it, huh? he taught me how to tie. He taught me how to take a tenth of what I earned and give it back to the Lord out of gratitude. And guess what? There have been times in my life when times have been tight and I've been right on the line. But guess what? I've never gone under and now I'm living in abundance. Why? Because I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Nor his seed begging bread. <laughs> I learned how to budget. I learned how to clean up my mess ups and my mistakes in my 20s. I learned how to, the importance of good credit and to keep my credit good and, and do all those things. I learned that an 8, 830 or 800 credit score was not impossible for people that came from where I came from. And I have one and I keep one. Why? Because God has given me the tool that even when my life was down, I learned how to build it back brick by brick. But don't you know, Sister Wolf, there's some people that are not happy about the success that's in your life. There are some people who are absolutely mad, and that's what we see. It says in verse 1, now when somebody heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he was angry. And not just angry, greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. He was upset about the Jews. And you would think he wouldn't care about this, about them rebuilding the wall of Israel, but it's counterproductive to his strategy and to his agenda. Guess what? The enemy will leave you alone as long as you're not coming to church. But when you start getting up in the morning, he's going to put everything in your way. Why? Because it's messing up his strategy. He's been doing fine wrecking your life. He's been doing fine keeping you up all night long at the club. He's been doing fine keeping you arguing with your wife. But when you look next to your wife and say, baby, you look good today, guess what's going to happen? The enemy's going to show up his ugly head because you're messing with his strategy because he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's trying to tell out what you're trying to build up, but I'm going to come to let you know what God God builds up. Satan can't tear down. Yeah. <laughs> Likewise today, you may ask yourself, my life is in a mundane pattern. I keep going in the same old cycles. Anybody ever seen that? You keep going in the same old cycles. You, you lose five pounds, gain 15. <laughs> you, get along, you get along for two weeks, and then for four weeks, you don't speak to one another. <laughs> you, you, you do good on your budget for one week, and then next week, you splurge, and you come home, and your wife says, what's in that box? Don't worry about it. <laughs> It seems like you're going through a mundane pattern and you're saying, I'm just working at rebuilding my life. Why does it seem the harder I try? Somebody's asking that question now. Somebody in this room is asking that. I can feel it. Why does it seem, Pastor, that all seems fine and good. But why does it seem the harder I try, the worse it gets? I gave my life to Jesus and things got hard. <laughs> I gave my life to Jesus, and now it seems like it's more rocky than it should be. Why? Because your progression is counterproductive to the agenda of the enemy. God established the family, so the enemy is only happy with broken homes. God honors and upholds marriage, so the enemy is only happy with broken or lackluster marriage. You know, sometimes the enemy don't mind you coming to church. He don't mind you coming to church as long as you're a lukewarm Christian and you really don't mean anything you say and you really don't have any real relationship with God. He's fine. He laughs at it because he knows you're wasting your time. The enemy doesn't mind you having a marriage license. The problem is he doesn't want you to have a marriage. 
He doesn't mind you having your name on the registrar with the clerk, but don't you dare have passion in your marriage. Don't you dare start having feelings for your spouse like when you first started. Don't you dare start getting along and dating one another and joking with one another and playing around with one another. And the kids start seeing a healthy marriage because if they start seeing what a healthy marriage is, they'll start saying, I want that too. No, he wants you jeering and ugly and mad and yelling at each other. So they will grow up and say, I never want that. And he has, without laying one blow, destroyed the next generation of families through divorce, through division, through all sorts of fighting and infighting. The enemy has an agenda to destroy. But I've come to tell you that God can overturn his agenda. He doesn't mind you, Terhan. He doesn't mind you healthy. He, the reason he doesn't want you healthy is this, that it may mean you may have enough energy and a longevity to share God's love with one another. He wants you to eat all the fried chicken you want. He wants you to eat all the whole holes and the bun buns and the cinnamon sugar you want. Why? Because you're trying to give the gospel and he can't wait till you have a stroke or a diabetic coma. He's waiting for you to eat yourself into oblivion. Why? Because your life is counterproductive to his agenda. You are a soldier in the army of Christ and his job is to take you out and most times he doesn't have to do anything. We do it to our Is this helping anybody this morning? Amen. <laughs> he doesn't want you financially free. Because if you're financially free, you can be generous. When you're financially free, kids start getting bounce houses. <laughs> when you're financially free, stuff starts going up on the walls. When you're financially free, uh, tracks get printed and sent out to people in the neighborhood. He doesn't want you financially free because God forbid you ever be generous to your church and to the kingdom of God and to feed the homeless and to feed the poor and the sick and support your church and not have just enough for just you. Yeah, God doesn't want you always to have just enough. Sometimes he wants you to be the have a saucer underneath you. When I was little, we used my daddy used to drink, uh, drink a coffee from a cup and he would always put drink it from a sauce and I love that sister Stacy you know why because after he finished all the stuff that fell over he would hand me the saucer and I get to drink the coffee God wants you to be like that he wants so much abundance and blessing in your life that doesn't mean richness but he wants you to be so abundantly blessed that you don't have just enough for you but you got some to spare to bless somebody else whose saucer is empty not just in money. He wants you to have so much joy in your life that people, when they're depressed, when they come around you, they can't help but smile. Amen. Jesus. I'm not alleviating personal responsibility. I am simply stating that for those who are trying to do the right thing and you still seem to be faced with opposition, that may be an attack of the enemy. God's agenda doesn't mesh with the agendas of others. And when you seek to pursue the purpose and plan of God in your life, you should expect persecution. Pull up 2 Timothy chapter 12, 3 verse 12 through 13 if you got it. We'll read that on the screen. Let's read it together. What does it say? Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Wow. Verse 13, let's go ahead and read it if they got it. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. The dope dealer got a nice car and you can't even afford tires. 
David said it this way, when I looked at the prosperity of the wicked, how they were getting ahead and I was doing right and seems like wrong was happening in my life and I was trying to build my life. He says, my foot almost slipped. But Brother David, you know what he did? He said, I messed around and went to church and I realized something, that life's not really about what happens here. Life is what happens in the next. And although they seem rich here, I'd rather be physically poor and spiritually rich than physically rich and spiritually bankrupt. Because if one day there's a place where your money can't buy you, uh, guess what? I'm going to get on a plane in a little while, and I bought a plane ticket to go. But I guess what? Your money can't buy you a plane ticket into heaven. Your money can't buy, buy you a plane ticket with God. None but the righteous shall see God. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have. You can have more degrees than a thermometer. I got a master's degree and a lot of certifications. That's fine. None of that means anything to God. No, it didn't say none but the educated. It didn't say none but those who had a 401k and a Roth IRA. It didn't say those who had high social status. None but the righteous shall see God. As a matter of fact, the presence of opposition is good for us because it lets us know that we're on the right track. If Satan, uh, oh Jesus, do I have to say it, Lord? Okay. If Satan's not bothering you, it's because you're both walking in the same direction. If Satan, I'm going to say it again for the people online. If Satan's not bothering you, if the enemy is not bothering you, it's because you're both walking in the same direction. Hallelujah. See, you only face opposition when something's going in the opposite direction that you are. But if you're both headed in the same direction, there's no friction. There is no opposition. He doesn't care about God and I don't either. So we're going in the same direction. I show up to church sometimes, and so does he. Look at Job. The sons of God and Job. Job, Satan presented himself to God. Have you considered my servant Job? You know, Satan comes to church sometimes, Tyrone. Sometimes Satan sits in the pulpit. Sometimes Satan sits in the pew. He comes to church. And the reason we are not bothered by him is because we're headed in the same. That's why Paul told Timothy, here's a way that you will know that you're living a godly life because those that live godly, y'all read it with me, will suffer what? Persecution. He's given the world words. When Sanballat couldn't get them to give up, he started using words to break them down. And then him and his friends started saying, oh, what are these feeble Jews doing? If they build up their wall, if they get themselves back together, a little bitty fox can come on it and tear it down. Have you ever had friends like that? If you got social media, I know you got them. You got people that's always hating on your page, blocking you is blessing me. Turn to your neighbor and say, blocking you. <laughs> it's blessing me. Learn how to block. Learn how to unfollow. Yeah, I don't have to be in your presence. That, that Nobody said I have to let you be on my page being antagonistic toward me. But people use words. Why did Sam Ballard use words instead of swords, Brother Ernie? Why did he do that? Because we've all heard this axiom that sticks and stones, help me say it, may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yeah, that's not really true. It's not true at all. <laughs> a proper way to say it would be, yes, sticks and stones do break the bones. 
but words can wound the soul. If I can get you down psychologically and mentally and say you'll never do it, you never will. If I can get in your head and, and sound like you talking and say, Willie, why are you going to the gym in the morning? You're not going to go. Matter of fact, don't get on a live stream and start trying to encourage other people. Because when you quit and you know you will quit, they're going to notice that the live stream stops coming. And, and so you might well go on here. You'll never have a happy marriage. You, you'll never do that. You'll never get your finances together. Y'all been bickering for 50 years. You're never going to be happy. Nobody, you're not worthy of love. You've been from man to man and no man ever wants you or loves you. They all leave you. You'll never have the, what you want. Has anybody ever heard these voices in their head telling them these things? Those words are destroying our souls. And that's what Sambalit is attempting to do. Sambalit and his friends are angry and they use the first level of attack to deter uh, Nehemiah and they want to make his situation not better but worse and they are using words not from a creative standpoint but from a cause and effect standpoint. Know that words can do two things. They can encourage or they can discourage. Now if you look at it, that word both of them have one word involved. That word is courage. The thought that I can, that, that I'm emboldened, that I can do something, that I can make it. But when you get the wrong words, they can discourage. They can take your courage away. They can take your faith away. But I've come to let you know that here we are coming to encourage you to be the person God is calling you to be. And I ask a question today. What trees are we planting in our household with our words? words. I admit these next scriptures can be a little challenging, but I want you to look at them not from the perspective of a victim. I want you to read them from the perspective of the giver and not the receiver. What do I mean by that? I simply mean I do not want you to hear these verses and realize where you've been wronged and say, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're with your spouse and you read something that your spouse has been doing, don't look at it and say, mm-hmm. Don't do that. Don't, don't do that. I, I want you to hear the one that pertains to you because that helps. I want you to take a look at it from the perspective of somebody who's committed these offenses and to offer uh, and to consider the harm that sometimes we've caused. Let's read these two scriptures. Pull up the first one. Colossians 3.19. What does it say? Husbands, let's read it together. And then guess what? I want our guys to read louder than the women. Because most times the women want to really say louder than the men here. I want the guys to say this because we need to hear it. And, and the women too. All together, let's go. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. God, I love you. Can I say something stern and strong to you? Nobody cares that you had a bad day at work. Stop taking it out on your wife. Nobody asked you to get married. Stop getting upset when she asks you to participate in family events. If you wanted to act like a single person, you should have stayed single. She just doesn't want me to, her, to be me. I can't hang out with the fellas. I can't do none of the stuff I used to do. She want me to show up at the park. She want me to show up at church. Sister uh, Wall, she want me to show up and she want me to volunteer at church and do all this stuff. And don't you know the game is on? Well, you should have stayed single. Get a DVR. If you can't say amen. Jesus. 
Guys, I'm not going to leave you hanging. Pull up the next scripture, Proverbs 25, verse 24. What does it say? Let's read it together. Don't get quiet now. <laughs> Let's read it. What does it say? And this time I want my ladies to be louder. Let's read it together. What does it say? It is better to live in a corner of a housetop than in a house share with a quarrelsome wife. Stop nagging all the time. You said it once. He heard you. He didn't respond because he didn't want to respond. Send him to the pastor. We'll talk about that. We'll fix that part. But guess what? If you say it again, he's just going to pretend he does not hear you. And after a while, he's going to shut down and you're going to push him away. And he's looking for something soft, not hard. He didn't want to marry a man. If he'd want to marry a man, he would have married a man. Why are you in his face? Why are you yelling and popping your neck? Why are you all loud and aggressive? That's what men do. You acting like a man. That's not feminine. The Bible said that a woman would take her husband and win him over by her soft and gentle spirit. Not, I told you not to put your shoes down no more. many times I got to tell you not to do this and do that and you just make me oh somebody will be honest today how are our words discouraging the people from around us from being better people because if you're nagging your husband like that it won't make him better it'll make him worse and everybody's trash is somebody else's treasure. If you won't speak nice to your husband, there's plenty of unscrupulous people who will. If you won't be nice to your wife, there's plenty of people who will take what you ignore. How are our words discouraging the people from around us from being better people? We should be using our words to build up and not to tear down. For those who are the recipients of those words, is this happening to anybody? Y'all yeah. got quiet. You got quiet. Don't get quiet on me. Then I know you're guilty. Don't, don't get quiet on me. We all guilty. For those who are the recipients of those words, how does that make you learn to cope with verbal attacks and learn to deal with attacks that are making you weak? Because you're going to get some of those attacks. And what do I do with the newfound strength? Here's the thing. He's trying to discourage them. He's trying to make them weak. And sometimes that's going to happen in your life. Sanballat uses these words uh, to make us feel weak. And how our words are discouraging us, uh, we need to take a strong look and a focus at. But this is something that we do. We try to find Fight back all the time because we don't like the feeling of weakness. But I've come to tell you that weakness is a strength to the believer. What? But I'm in America. I've been taught that might is right and that we're big by, by all of the armors we got and that we have peace through strength and all those things. But in the world of the believer, weakness is strength. Pastor, I just don't believe that. I figured you wouldn't. So go ahead and pull up the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 through 10. You don't have to take my word for it. Let's read what it says. What does it say? But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Wow. 
You ever had somebody that you've been in a group of people <laughs> and there's always the smallest, per smallest person that got the loudest mouth? Somebody step on a shoe and you finna let it go. And you got the smallest person with the biggest mouth ready to fight. Now everybody got to fight because the smallest person won't stop their mouth because they don't realize that you're stronger than them. You can fix this yourself. But they right out of fight. Da -da 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 pop. <laughs> That's what we look like when the enemy is after us and God standing right behind us and we step in the way. You can't fix your marriage on your own. But God can. You can't fix your life on your own. But, but, but God can. But he can't do it because you keep getting in the way. Give it to him. What do I do with this newfound strength? I find the strength to build back one brick at a time, and this is how I do it. I must master the mundane. In order to achieve results, I must be dedicated to doing the less attractive things over and over again. Make it a point that every time my wife leaves, say, baby, I love you and I can't wait to see you. And every time she comes in and say, hey, I love you and I'm glad to have you back. It seems boring, but if you do it long enough, you'll tear down some wall from all the negative stuff you've been saying. We must develop the tenacity to keep working even when we are not seeing it happen at the speed that we want. Many do not see success because they seek because they seek the prize and not the process. Who Jesus? That's what it is, Lamar. They want the prize without the process. People who've been married for 50 and 60 years and have a wonderful marriage, it's not because there hadn't been arguments or fights or infidelity or outside kids and stuff like that. You know what it was? They committed to the process. They learned to forgive when they were hurt. They learned not to over be overcome with evil, but to overcome evil with good. They got the prize because they submitted to the process. But Sister Bernice, sometimes the process is painful. How can I forgive what you said to me or what you did to me or the trust that you portrayed in me? How can I forgive it? Brick by brick. I may not be able to let it go all at once, but you know what I can do? I can say, Pastor, is anybody at the church? No, nobody's at the church. Can you open the door for me? Yeah, I can do that. Pastor, can you go away now? Sure, I will. And you can come lay at this altar. And you can cry as long as you want to cry. And you can pray as long as you want to pray. And you can holler as long as you want to holler. And after a while, you get up, get yourself together, and you get in your car, and you go home, and, and you, get, you start to do a little better. And when you feel weak, you get up, and you do it again. pastors out of town or Robert's out of town I can't get in the church that's fine you get in your closet or you get by your bedside and you kneel down and you say I'm going to be like Jacob 
I'm still dealing with unforgiveness. I'm still dealing with anger. I'm still dealing with, still dealing with rage and wrath. But God, you promised me that you give me peace that can pass all understanding. And I can't pass this test because I can't find that peace. And I'm not going to let go until you give me what I need. I'm like, Jacob, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. I'm going to get down here every day with hatred in my heart until I get down one day and forget why I got there in the first place because the hatred is gone. I'm going to build my life back brick by brick. Turn, I'm a pastor, but don't you know I had people that I couldn't stand? People that tried to kill me and hurt me in the name of righteousness and throw rocks and hide their hands and seem religious, but they were really wicked behind the scenes. And you know what I did? I could have fought back. I could have told everything. But you know what I did? I kept my mouth shut and I came to this altar. And I cried out to the Lord like Nehemiah did. And I learned that I was going to come here and I was going to pray for the people that I wanted to run over until I wanted to give them a ride. And I built my life back, Sister Barbara, brick by brick. It can be done. You can build your life back. You can get yourself back together again. You don't have to be in a prison of pain. You don't have to be in a prison of unforgiveness. You don't have to let hatred consume you. You don't have to let negativity consume you. You can get down and you are not alone. I know the enemy tells you you're by yourself, but there's a lie from the pit of hell. Look at all these people around. If you just open up your mouth, there are plenty of people who will walk with you and help you build sections of your wall. Brick by brick. This is one of the most loving churches I've ever seen in my life. If you're not getting help, it's simply because you're not looking for it. If you're not getting help, it's most times because you want people to help you stay in your mess and you don't want to change. But if you want to change, this has been a loving church with people that will walk with you and tell you stuff. I told Brother Dave stuff that I never tell a soul. Brother Dave knows where all the bodies are bad. He knows who I like. He knows who I can't stand. He, uh, yeah, he does. I'm just going to be honest with you. There's nobody in this room. So you're okay. You're safe. But at, at the end of the day, <laughs> Brother Dave knows those things. Why? Because I can tell Brother Dave because I know what? Whatever I told him has never gotten back to anybody. We all need that family because all of us are building our life back together. Brick by brick. I already hear somebody in the naysayers saying, but I tried that, it didn't work. That's a waste of time. I didn't see the real benefit. That's what they say. That's what you're saying right now. I'm going to read it because I wrote it. So you won't say I'm just meddling. I wrote this down. I could hear while I was preaching this to, to myself and the spirit was given to me. I could hear somebody saying, but I tried that and it doesn't work. I'm not saying it because you're in the building. It's already wrote down right here. I tried that, but it didn't work. That's a waste of time. I didn't see any real benefit. And the Lord gave me a message to give you. He said, what you don't hear is the true statement, which is this. I really wasn't consistent. I didn't give it my all. I got bored with the process and I quit. I was never fully committed in the first place. And I wasn't disciplined enough to trust the process. Now plug in your own wall. Is it spiritual growth? Is it church attendance? 
Is it working out? Is it rebuilding marriage and family? Is it rebuilding a new positive life and better habits of becoming financially free? Is it raising a holistically healthy family? Is it marriage? Is it church or community? Insert your issue. Whatever it is, God can help you to rebuild it, but you got to do it. And here's the last thing, and I'm going to let y'all go, for, especially for my guys, because it is football season, but that's okay. God is bigger than football. You'll be okay. I, I like football, too. <laughs> no one person can build a whole wall by themselves it took a group of people to build the wall this is what happens this is how the enemy gets you he gets you out by yourself and so i said nobody knows the trouble i've seen i can always tell what people are in the church they told me this when i was a young child he said you know how to connect the people in your church this doesn't work for seniors and the reason it doesn't work for seniors because most times the music in church is loud and seniors want to get back from the music but people who are, who are about 50 and under this is how you know because people who are really plugged in are up near the front people who aren't plugged in you'll see them slowly drift to this seat and to that seat and that seat why because psychologically they don't feel connected And before long, the enemy is looking for the people in those seats because they are just like on National Geographic. The lion doesn't get the, the zebra that's in the middle of the herd. He gets the stragglers out to the edge. So what I want you to do today, don't turn around to anybody if you don't know who's sitting in the back of Welver. Find people who might not be sitting there. Those are the people we need to put our arms around and love the most. They need us the most. That may not be the case if you're sitting in those seats. Somebody say, I'm sitting up front next week. <laughs> but don't be afraid to get help from others to accomplish your goal through counseling, discipleship, partnering, accountability in a prayer group. I'm going to give you this on mental. I'm giving you this last scripture so you can get ready to stand. We're getting ready to go. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. I want you to know this because this message is for you. I didn't know who would show up in this building today. I didn't know who was coming. If it's on the screen, it's for you. Everybody say, it's for me. You need to hear this if you're trying to build back your life. Let's read it together. What does it say? Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Why, preacher? That's what Ecclesiastes means, the preacher. Did you say a threefold cord? Wait a minute. You just said two. Because the third one is God. By yourself, you can't do it. With me, Lath, you can't do it. But if we get together and put God with us, there's nothing that's not possible. Stand. Brother Ernie, Brother Dave, Robin, y'all can come up, Sister Stacy. Uh, if y'all stand and face the front for me, Brother Bob. If you need prayer, we got leaders in this church. Y'all come, come this way, face that way. If you need prayer today, there's somebody here for you. Don't not get what you need. Two are better than one. If you need to have your life built back together again, there are people who are capable and ready to pray for you today. As Brother Dave gets ready to come, 
you can come to this altar. It's open. I've been changed. Praise the Lord. This is your part of the service. This is your opportunity if you need prayer.